Your relationship with your adult child should evolve and that evolution can start with you and it can start with you reflecting on how have I been as a parent and how do I want this relationship to look in five years, 10 years? How can I work towards that? Hello everyone, I'm Denise Gorant. Welcome to Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. Thanks for joining me for another conversation about the ins and outs of parenting adult children. Your diapering days are over. Now it's time to consider when to bite your tongue. So let's get started. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. I'm Denise Gorant and today I'm joined by Connie Fisher, who's typically our behind the scenes engineer. But today we're talking about the holidays, and Connie's my sister, so I thought she'd be the best one to join me. Connie and I have experienced many a holidays together as kids and, of course, as young adults. So today is part two of getting ready for the holidays, and we're going to get right to it. We're having Ginny Jones, who authored the article, Why Adult Kids Don't Come Home for the Holidays. Well, that's a question. Ginny is a parenting coach, but she also specializes in helping parents navigate eating disorders, recovery, and other food and body-related issues. We'll touch on that a bit, since that can be an issue with all the sweets and treats during the holidays. So, Connie, welcome. We're so glad to have you as a co-host today on Bite Your Tongue. Oh, thanks, Denise. And what comes to your mind when you think about the holidays and some of the stress it brings, and joy, of course? Oh, yeah. To tell you the truth... Uh, What pops into my head is getting my house in order. But besides that, I truly understand how tension can come into the picture. Got your kids coming home. Maybe they're bringing a significant other for the first time. Maybe one got married this past year. And guess what? You get the in-laws at your house this holiday season. So there's a lot going on. And not only that, we've got COVID to deal with this year. There's still a lot of stress with COVID. So I think that's going to add tension to the whole scenario. Oh, gosh, yes. There's so many different scenarios. You're right. Okay, so welcome, Jenny. We're happy to have you. And we'd like to start with you telling us a little bit more about yourself. And we're really interested in what inspired you to write the article, Why Adult Kids Don't Come Home for the Holidays. That's for sure. We're anxious to hear, Jenny. Yes. Yeah. Well, my interest for the last uh, five or six years has been really looking at the parent-child relationship and how parents can support kids, particularly when they have eating disorders. Um, That's the special area of focus that I have. But I write a lot about parents and kids and at all stages of development, how parents can have closer closer relationships with their kids and also just um, feel better about parenting. And why did you end up writing this article? Um, It really caught our attention, you know, why the adult kids don't come home for the holidays. And it's not just why some adult kids don't come home for the holidays. You're pretty strong in saying why adult kids don't come home for the holidays. Why do they sometimes dread coming home? And frankly, as excited as parents are to have them, we get a little nervous too. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it gets um, it gets so much more challenging parenting when you have an adult child and it definitely requires some new skills. So I was interested in writing the article because I was just seeing a lot of people posting actually on Instagram um, about how how hard it is to go home for the holidays, how hard it can be to see parents. And that makes me so sad, of course. I mean, 
you know, I'm both an adult child and somebody's parent. And I really wanted to think through um, what does this mean? And if our kids have to work themselves up to seeing us, what can we do to make that make that a little different for so that we can all have a good holiday? Well, you mentioned the parents can make changes in our behavior. Can you kind of give us some examples what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, I think some of the really obvious things, well, obvious from an outsider's perspective, but that some parents might not have thought of is, you know, adult kids want to be treated like adults. And so if you're still in a pattern of maybe criticizing, questioning, giving a lot of advice about their life choices, that can feel very stressful. They, they feel sort of caught between this childhood and adulthood, and they don't really want to um, still behave like children. <laughs> but uh, when parents treat them like children, that can just kind of bring out this weird dynamic that uh, can be you know, uncomfortable for both sides, I think. So give us some specifics on that, because I have to look back to when I went home. You know, you said you're an adult child and you're parent, I guess that's what you said earlier. Yes. And I think of myself as an adult child, and I had a very good relationship with my parents. I had a, you know, standard upbringing. Um, and yet I was always very nervous when I went home. And yet when I walked in the house, I became a kid. So as much as I wanted to be treated like an adult, I also didn't put my shoes away or kept my room messy, even though I was very neat in my own house. So why do you think that happens? Well, relationships are dances, right? We are dancing the same steps. And if the parent-child relationship doesn't evolve as we grow, then we just keep dancing the same dance. And, um, you know, that's so interesting. Uh, Yeah, we'll often revert. And it's I guess what I think is most important to know is that relationships are never one-sided. One person doesn't control the dance. The dance is two people engaging in a pattern or a habitual relationship. You know, that's a really, really good point. I've never even thought of it that way, that it's a dance. But what I really liked is that relationships have to evolve. Our listeners really like concrete advice. And as you say that, let's say we don't feel like our relationship with our adult children has evolved. And we still very much feel like we're, quote unquote, parenting them, even though they are young adults and on their own. What can we do maybe during the holidays to start taking steps to get this relationship to evolve? My advice always starts with you or or the parent. My advice is always reflect on yourself. Reflect on your role in the dance. See what you're doing that's habitual and, and instinctual and and that you're not, you know, you're just automatically doing. And, you know, usually it's, you know, some form of criticism, advice giving, um, judgment, fear that the child isn't happy, that the child isn't doing well. All of those things are our steps. So going into the holidays, we need to spend some time really reflecting, what, what dance am I dancing here? And if we want the relationship to evolve, we have to evolve. I had read something that you had written about learning to be an active listener. Yeah. That just seems like a great way to be able to start this because it's so hard. I mean, as our podcast says, bite your tongue. But how do you learn to be that active listener? That's got to be, especially when your adult child is expecting you to come back with advice or nitpicking. 
Um, that's, that's a really good question. I mean, there are some amazing resources out there for active listening, and it's a very well-documented strategy for communication. And my guess is most parents are, doing, are using active listening in other areas of their lives. They just haven't thought of using it with their kids. What are some of those resources that we could share with our listeners? Active listening listeners, I got a little yeah. confused there of what I was saying. Um, oh my gosh, I, I would have to send you that. Okay, that, that would be great. I think if we could share some of that, that, that would be terrific. And you know, I guess some of the things that I think about, as you mentioned, getting to know your child as an adult, and that's, that's part of the evolving dance, right? Exactly. But yeah. then you say, skip the superficial small talk. And yet, because the relationship might not be evolved, your kids don't want to talk about their adult life or their, you know, sometimes they're not willing to share because of the history of judgment and criticism. Right. And I think um, when I say skip the superficial small talk, that's kind of a, a goal. Um, I mean, not that small talk, small talk plays an important role in relationships. I guess what I really meant there was don't let it end with the small talk. Um, but if you've had a relationship where you have been criticizing, advising, judging, or being afraid of your child's life in some way, and by that I mean like, are they going to be successful? Are they going to be able to buy a house? Whatever you're afraid of, they sense all that. And so the small talk can, can be a way that we hide from the deeper conversations. And if you think about what does it mean to have a deep conversation, it means I'm willing to dive into the depths. I'm willing to go to those hard places, to the darkness of my child. And I'm willing to sit in the darkness with my kid and be okay with that. Boy, that is probably one of the hardest things a parent can do. And I think everything you said, I mean, the criticism and the judgment is one thing, but the fear takes over all of us in some way. We wish so much for them to be successful is not the right word, but competent, productive, and every step they they take, because we've had such life experiences, we question. And even if we don't say it out loud, you say that they're feeling it. Yes, kids know. So our kids are born with, you know, very immature nervous systems, and they actually grow up in response to our nervous system. This is all the amazing stuff we're learning in neuroscience right now. So what it means is that our kids are actually so tuned in to our nervous system that one of the best things we can do to have a deeper, more meaningful relationship with our adult kids is to learn to regulate our own nervous system. What that means is if you're afraid for your kid, you know, whatever, and, and by the way, criticism and judgment comes from fear. I think you're right. I think you're right. I'm loving everything you're saying. I'm just loving it. So it all comes back to fear. What are you afraid of for your child? And then how do we practice trusting that our child's life is their life? Their body is their body. Their choices are their choices. And we're here to love them, accept them, support them, but it's not ours. So possibly it's us that needs to go to the therapist and work on these kinds of things. That is my whole approach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that. And I, I've said this in another episode when my kids were little, you know, I was raised in a very much a, what do they call it? A brick wall parenting situation. And I really wanted to be less of that. And I needed help on moving that needle. And it made a huge difference in, in my parenting style. It wasn't about my kids. It was really about me. 
So I, I love that you say that because I've believed that for so long that we rush our kids to the therapist and sometimes it's the parent that should be going to the therapist first. I, I really want to figure out what some of these things are parents can at least do. We're approaching the holidays. They they don't, you know, they don't have time to sort of work through all of this. Maybe you'll send me some things they can read, but how do we let go of that fear so that our children don't feel it this holiday season? How do we navigate that? Well, I mean, there are a lot of techniques for um, for learning to work with our own nervous systems, to learning to work with our fear response. Some of the ones I, I really do recommend are self-compassion practice uh, by Kristen Neff. You know, she has this amazing practice for learning to be compassionate with ourselves. And I think that's a first step in changing our fear patterns. It's very hard to stop being afraid if you don't trust yourself. It's very hard to trust your child if you don't trust yourself. And self-compassion is all about trusting myself, trusting that that I, I can handle this. I can do this. I've got this. Wow. Um, the other thing I read one time, and I wanted your input on this, is that sometimes when you have that fear for your child and they feel it, they sense a lack of, you have a lack of confidence in them. Does that make sense? What I, well, yeah. I mean, I think fear is a lack of confidence, isn't it? Yeah. And that's not a message you want to give them. No, but so many of, you know, so this is like what I think is so important about being a conscious parent um, is, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And, but once we learn it, once we realize, Hey, you know what? My, tr- my fear is getting in the way of my kid living their life. So I got to work on my fear. Yeah, I can take my kid to therapy. I can say, I wish my kid would do this, that, or the other. But fundamentally, I'm transmitting information to my child. My child sees themselves through my eyes, through my body. So what am I telling them, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just amazing. And getting back to them walking through the door in the next couple months, how do you start off on the right foot? I, I understand what you're saying but there might be a lot of turmoil and finally they've decided, okay, I'm going to come home. But are there some little things that you could do to make situations a little bit less stressful? And especially if they're bringing, you know, someone home with them, if maybe the in-laws are coming in, like we mentioned at the, at the intro, any advice there? Well, I think the first thing is to um, keep some boundaries around what's theirs and what's yours. So, so, you know, like, what's theirs to handle and what's mine to handle. So for example, if they bring a child, if they bring your grandchild home and, or, and the kids kind of behaving, I don't know, acting out in some way, that's your child's responsibility and, and role to, to handle. It's not your role to, to, to go in and, and handle that. And that's just a really obvious example. In terms of partners, I think the most important thing is to trust that your child's partner is the partner that they're supposed to be with right now. You don't have to like that, but it's their choice, right? You might not like the partner, but the worst thing we can do is say, I don't like your partner because then we just gave our kid something to push against. Mm -hmm. Now they have to justify, why am I with this partner? Why am I with this person? Well, I'll tell you, mom, like, this is why. (laughs) And we just like totally backfired because we just gave our kid like, you know, a soapbox to tell me what's amazing about their partner. And, And what we were trying to do is the opposite to say, hey, like, that person's not seeming so great. So in those situations, in all situations, I think we want to go more of a place of curiosity, asking questions, but not like 
you know, like sometimes we ask questions and they're super obvious. So <laughs> I like you, like, why are you with that person? <laughs> right? That's not going to work but so you well. You can't really even ask what is it you like about this person because that's pretty direct too. I would, I would focus on things that are positive, not negative as much as possible. If you're in a strained relationship or if you sense there's any stress about them being with you, then I would focus on, hey, you seem, you seem really happy or you seem really relaxed um, right now. Seems like things are going well for you. And I'm not saying lie. I'm saying find something that they seem happy about. Right, right. And maybe try to focus on that. I think sometimes we're so afraid that if we don't jump in and control or fix things, our kids are going to like, I don't know, <laughs> go off the rails, right? Yeah, you're, you're, you're so good, Ginny. I, I just, I love your tone of voice. I love so much of what you're saying. It's so important. And I also can look at the other side. As Connie said, you know, you have, the holidays are sometimes stressful too, because you're used to having control of your house and everything neat. All of a sudden you've got a house full of people and that's stressful in its own right. Even if it's not your adult kids, um, you've got possibly uh, significant others or partners. And then you're also trying not to be judgmental and be, you know, empathetic and all of that. So boy, it's a lot for parents to handle during this period. And I think that's where the, we go back to self-compassion. I think, um, you know, nobody got better at parenting by judging themselves, <laughs> you know, feeling like I've got to get this right. This is the last Christmas. This is my last <laughs> chance. Like, uh, you know, Mm-hmm. We've got to relax a little bit and we've also got to start trusting that our kids are going to be okay. Right, right. Well, um, Connie, do you have any more questions about that? Because I wanted to get in to give her a little opportunity to talk about the eating disorders during the holidays. Um, since that's really your specialty, I don't want to miss that. Put, But do you have anything else before I, we get into that, Connie? I do have a quick question. And this is kind of, I know there's not a, a quick answer just thought maybe you would throw something out there that might help. You know, when you've got the kids coming home and maybe they're coming with that significant other, you're wondering, oh my gosh, did I put them in the guest room together? You know, what what do I do? Mm-hmm. Is that some stuff that should be talked about prior to them coming home? Maybe there's a lot of different political issues or religious issues as well that you know might come up. Well, I, I think the most important thing about having an adult child is respect. And so you get respect and they get respect. And so, yeah, if if you have a rule, which you're allowed to have, if you have a boundary about sleeping arrangements, that's perfectly fine. But I definitely wouldn't like spring it on them. If they're living together and they're choosing to come and visit you, uh, then you really have to decide how important is this boundary to me? If, if it is, that's fine. But then, yeah, you have to be really clear up front. And then you also have to be prepared for if the child says, well, then <laughs> if we can't sleep together, we're not coming. That's a, always a possible outcome. And that is that is a, your choice, but you both get to make it as adult, right? That's the key is that we need respect to go both ways. Right, right. Let's move on to give you a little bit of time because this is a short episode because we're doing a two-part holiday episode. But I want to know a little bit about eating disorders in the holidays. I, I, I don't really even know what to ask. I read a little bit about it. I'm sure there's lots of different variations. Yeah, I mean, so the first thing that eating disorders are about is, you know, emotional dysregulation. So having a peaceful, you know, a good relationship with your child if they have an eating disorder is really important. Um, because you do you do want to minimize stress. If somebody has or had an eating disorder, then we know that stress is going to be 
a trigger for them. If your child has an eating disorder, had an eating disorder, you do want to really be thoughtful about uh, avoiding stress as much as possible. That doesn't mean avoiding conflict. But um, if there is conflict, then we resolve it, we repair it, and we work together to improve the situation. Well, the second part of eating disorders is obviously the eating. (laughs) So there's the emotional side and there's the food side. And they're both really important because, of course, with an eating disorder, food creates stress. So then we want to think about what is the food setting that my child's going to be most comfortable in? Um, How am I presenting food? How important is the food? to, you know, like some people get really committed to exactly what their holiday table needs to look like. And I would say, you know, reconsider food's position in the family. If you have an eating disorder, you want to kind of rethink, how do we talk about food? How do we think about food? And always focus on connection over food. Interesting. That's hard to do because I think the holidays do have a huge focus on food. And I guess I want to ask, so this can involve even a child that doesn't have an eating disorder, but maybe comes home and is very overweight, or your child has had or has an eating disorder, and you see them eating in an, in uh, in a way that's not responsible. Maybe the child that's gained a lot of weight is eating everything in sight. The child with the eating disorder is not putting anything on their plate. Do you say anything or do you let it ride? With an adult child... I would be very, very careful. Eating is communication to a parent. Like the way a child is eating is a way of communicating. And you want to be really careful to not make it about the food. So focus on their feelings. If you think your child looks distressed, then talk about that. If you think your child seems overwhelmed or hungry, like hungry for connection, hungry for, you know, you come home and you have all these thoughts about like, okay, I'm going to be with my family. I'm going to belong. Most people who have eating disorders don't feel like they belong. So when I focus on the food and what they're eating or how they're eating, I'm missing an opportunity to connect. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mm-hmm. see. Okay. okay. I'm trying to understand the part where it's not about the food. Your table should look different. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like if you're having guests over and, the you know, someone's bringing the pies, someone's bringing potatoes and everybody oohs and ahs on things like that. Can you tell us a little bit more what you mean by what your table looks like? So your table can actually look the same. The difference is your eyes are on your own plate. That means you're not looking at or worrying about what your child is eating at the holiday dinner. So this is a a huge conversation because, of course, sometimes the parents are involved in the child's treatment. That's a different situation. What I'm talking about here is at a holiday meal, you don't really want to call a child out for how they're eating or what they're eating. My basic philosophy is keep your eyes on your own plate. Mm -hmm. And if you are feeling uncomfortable about how your child is, is eating, really reflect on how that makes you feel And then try to think about how is my child feeling right now? Because my guess is we're going back to fear here, going back to you're afraid. That's exactly what I was going to say. This isn't that much different than what we talked about earlier with everything that we're concerned about or whatever with our adult children. Okay, well, this this has been great. You know, Ginny, we usually end our episodes with asking our guests to give us two or three takeaways that they really hope our listeners will take away with them. Can you offer those three things before we close? Sure. I think my first thing is that adult child, your relationship with your adult child should evolve. And that evolution can start with you. And it can start with you reflecting on 
How have I been as a parent? And how do I want this relationship to look in five years, 10 years? How can I work towards that? The second thing is to really pay attention to the feelings, like pay attention to your feelings, pay attention to your kids' feelings. What they're doing is not as important as how you feel about what they're doing and how they feel about what they're doing. And my third one, I think we we didn't touch on this directly, but I will just say it is, um, I cannot think of a situation in which I would recommend that a parent ever mention a child's weight. Mm -hmm. So holidays are a really uh, tough time already. Obviously, weight is something you can see. You make assumptions about what that means. Mentioning weight um, <laughs> can almost never go well. And, I, you know, I do a lot of work with, um, you know, anti-diet, uh, health at every size, intuitive eating, um, you know, and eating disorders. And the guidance is pretty much consistent. If you feel like you have to talk about weight, talk about something else. Wow. You know, Ginny, I, I've loved all of this. I, have two I love everything um, about what you're saying. And if you have time to send me a few resources that our listeners can use in terms of becoming active listeners and some of the other things you mentioned, that we'd all be very grateful. We all have a lot, to, a lot of work to do on ourselves as we go forward. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jenny. And have a wonderful holiday. I don't know whether you have children, but enjoy your family and have a great season. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks. Take care. So that's a wrap on our two-part holiday episode. Ginny really helped us understand our role in making the holidays a pleasant experience for our adult children. I particularly loved her words about being an active listener and about how our relationships evolve and how we need to continually adjust our relationships and discover each other at new stages in life. She said, if the parent-child relationship doesn't evolve as we grow, we keep dancing the same dance. I just loved it. In two weeks, we'll drop another episode on trust and estates, but this time it's gonna be about the estate items your adult children need as soon as they turn 18. This is gonna be a very important episode for everyone to listen to. You might even share the episode with your adult children. I think they'll enjoy it. So as we head to the end of season one, I wanna again thank all of our listeners. And I want to give a shout out to Ellen Broughton, who continues to join me when she can as a co-host, and to Connie Fisher, who both hosted today and does all of our sound engineering. Thank you both. Remember, listeners, please follow us on social media, make comments, share your ideas, and also subscribe to Bite Your Tongue, the podcast on all your podcast platforms. And for season two, I'm going to ask one last time, we really want to hear your thoughts and ideas about episodes and guests please email us at biteyourtonguepodcast at gmail.com. We really want to hear from you. Thank you all again. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Enjoy the holidays. And remember, sometimes you just might have to bite your tongue.